As kids, right, we're grateful for everything. Everything is, we're curious about everything. We become less grateful as we get older because we start comparing and we have attachments, we have expectations. And her disease, in a way, allowed us to, to chip away at that. And we both, I, I look back on it, and a lot of people ask me, they're like, but for 11 years, you carried the burden of her cancer spreading and you couldn't share it for, to her. And um, she passed away in your arms. And I was like, yes, that's all true. But God, there was so much I was grateful for. I mean, the love we shared, the moments we shared, the, you know, again, unfortunately a diagnosis, it, or sometimes it requires a diagnosis to remove the unnecessary in life. Welcome to the Gratitude Podcast on www.georgeandbenta.com, where you'll hear a new story each week that will inspire more gratitude in your own life. Our mission is to inspire 100,000 people to discover how to feel gratitude and live a happy life through the amazing life stories of our successful guests and their actionable tips. And now, the host of our podcast, George and Benta. How many times a day do you feel stressed or anxious? On the Gratitude Podcast, we've explored how deep breath helps in these situations. Thankfully, the guys at Camuso came up with a product that helps us form the habit of breathing deeply. It's called a Shift and it's a minimalistic necklace that not only looks good, but helps us relax by extending our exhales. I love simple solutions and they're the ones we actually turn into long-term habits that bring amazing results in our lives. Find out more on georgianbenta.com slash the shift or visit the link in the description. One more thing. Did you know if you use my code, the gratitude podcast, you'll get 15% off the shift necklace. Hi, gratitude seeker. Welcome to a new episode of the gratitude podcast. Today with us, we have a really special person. He was born in NYC. He also lived in Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Rome. And now he lives in a small Italian village in the National Park of Abruzzo, where both his and Madonna's family come from. He received his MBA through the executive program of Columbia University while working as a junior portfolio manager for a small investment management firm in Midtown Manhattan. He quickly started climbing the ranks in the financial industry and was recruited by one of the largest sovereign wealth funds, the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, in 97. It was shortly after accepting the position that he and his wife were confronted with an extreme event that shook the very foundation of all their hopes and dreams. Desiree, his wife, was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer right before her 31st birthday. And this is um, the intro to 
some of the the life events uh, in our guests life <laughs> and um, I'll let him tell you how things evolved from from that point and um, how how gratitude played an important part in in the, his story and in the experience that that he had welcome robert pardy to the gratitude podcast thank thank you very much for having me um your podcast is one that i listen to often so it's a great honor and pleasure to be able to speak with you <laughs> the pleasure is all mine so let's know what hap happened afterwards um of course sure. i read about um, it but um i'm sure that our listeners can um find out even better from from your coming from you great thank you thank you very much and um you know it was it was actually it was very unusual because uh my wife was studying to be a doctor at the time she was doing an md phd and she had just finished her phd and she took a, a sabbatical between the phd and the md to come live with me in abu Dhabi. And to receive a residence visa, you have to go through basically a health screening. And we decided because it had been some time for her to do just a general checkup. Now, back in the late 90s, it was, it was very unusual for a woman in her early 30s to be diagnosed with breast cancer. Unfortunately, it's become more prevalent today. But when they had found a lump, uh, we didn't really give much thought to it because she had found that lump a year before and her gynecologist actually had said, don't worry, um, you have cystic breasts, it runs in your family, um, you're too young. So, And that was the, the belief back then. When she was diagnosed, my wife basically asked me to step in. She lived her life in a very particular way in terms of not wanting to judge her efforts in anything. And she said to me, she said, Robert, I know too much to be dangerous to myself. Will you be willing to become my surrogate? I don't want to know anything about my disease. I just want to know the next steps. And for the next 11 years, I basically managed her disease, um, which is very unusual because she didn't want to, she didn't even want to know the names of the chemotherapy she was on. They would actually cover the bags for her um, during, during the, the infusions. And while she was doing that, she, she graduated medical school. Uh, she was on the Oprah Winfrey show for graduating against the odds. And she went into a period of remission. Now, the more I think about it, Back then, they did not really use PET scans. They were only CAT scans, and PET scans are much more specific and detailed. So I don't know if she really, truly was in remission because it was such a short period of time, but there was the belief she was in remission. And when her cancer returned, uh, I was blown away. Uh, it just, it, it knocked me in the deepest darkest hole that you could possibly imagine. I couldn't believe that it came back. Uh, I had been hopeful that it wouldn't, even though when she was diagnosed, she was actually diagnosed in 
Dubai. She had the surgery, the mastectomy in Dubai. And they had told me she had a lifespan of 24 to 30 months. Um, she did wind up living 11 years. She became the head of palliative care at New York Hospital. She had this amazing life. But I truly didn't want to believe those statistics. So when she was in, quote, remission, I felt we could just go on with our life. And when she did recur and I had to be confronted with the inevitability that I couldn't save her, the, the hardest thing was not caring for her. The hardest thing was not being able to cure her. And that's when I started learning about gratitude. That's when I started learning about surrender, purpose. Um, and the caregiving journey actually became very purposeful. And I realized that purpose was when I was putting my values and passions in alignment. And it no longer, be, I didn't mind carrying the weight for her because it didn't become a, about me. Once I realized my job, my purpose was to support her through her life journey and to the destination she was heading towards, which was most likely death and unfortunately wound up being death. Um, we were always hopeful that maybe there would be some new drug coming out every year. There seemed to be a new drug. There was a lot of advancement. Um, but it really was in that period of time that I realized that the journey we were going through, um, despite the adversity, allowed us the possibility to actually live in a state of joy. And I know it sounds very odd if you're talking about someone that has stage four cancer and they're young and you have to confront death. But what I actually, I call gratitude the go-go juice of life because I realized that gratitude fuels a lot of things, which I, I didn't grow up that way. I grew up in a very difficult relationship with an alcoholic father. Um, I grew up in a mentality of lack and that there was never enough and you had to you know, work hard and the good guy always loses. And um, I didn't understand gratitude, but we were lucky enough to build it on our own. Um, then she had an amazing oncologist that actually introduced us to India and we would travel to India. She would sometimes get on a plane the, the night she had chemotherapy and we would arrive in India and she would volunteer in a hospital. I would volunteer in a food hall, but what I realized is that gratitude fuels joy in that gratitude helps you value the ordinary moments. And what I realized throughout her life and what helped me rebuild my life, which, which I, I'll talk about as well, but um, that it's only in the ordinary moments, it's by valuing the ordinary moments that we live an extraordinary life. Because we're not, we're not thinking, we're not lost in expectation, we're not lost in attachment, we're not lost in comparison, looking at somebody's life on Instagram thinking, oh, why me, why don't I have that? Gratitude by fueling that awareness of the ordinary moment helped me, helped her, understand we had enough and we we were enough together we were 
living a wonderful life. And we did get the opportunity to travel and do a lot of things, but it was the, the laughter in the house. It was playing with our little dog. It was, um, <laughs> I used to buy these little napkins. We would call them happy napkins, but for dinner, we would have all these napkins with flowers or hearts or funny sayings. And we, in a way, allowed ourselves to be a little, to live with a little childish enthusiasm because as kids, right, we're grateful for everything. Everything is, we're curious about everything. We become less grateful as we get older because we start comparing and we have attachments, we have expectations. And her disease in a way allowed us to, to chip away at that. And we both, I, I look back on it and a lot of people ask me, they're like, but for 11 years, you carried the burden of her cancer spreading and you couldn't share it for, to her. And um, she passed away in your arms. And I was like, yes, that's all true. But God, there was so much I was grateful for. I mean, the love we shared, the moments we shared, the, you know, again, unfortunately a diagnosis, it, or sometimes it requires a diagnosis to remove the unnecessary in life. And so, that was our, our journey together. Um, and I learned about surrender because it was that moment when that dark moment in, in my life where I realized I couldn't save her, that I had to surrender. I had to give up trying to control the outcome and controlling only what was under my control, which were the ordinary moments, which were my thoughts, my efforts, my actions. And together we grew. And this woman, she became the head of palliative care at New York Hospital. I, I just, I, I watched her evolve. And my joy was knowing that I was helping her do that. When she passed away, um, honestly, I had a, a huge identity crisis. And I realized throughout the grieving process, because I wasn't, of course, I miss her. I miss her every day. And I wasn't necessarily upset she passed away because I realized and I learned that we live with impermanence in life. Everything is impermanent. We, we have only one destination. We're not meant to survive life, unfortunately. And so I had to say goodbye to her earlier than expected. Yeah. Um, but I don't think she lived a short life. I think she lived an accelerated life. And I didn't realize how I needed to actually confront the loss of Robert, the husband, Robert, the caregiver. I had to look inside myself and realize that I had a vision of my life. I was supposed to have this, she was beautiful, this, this, this beautiful, amazing doctor, as my wife at my side, living in New York City, you know, living the yuppie lifestyle. And, and it disappeared in an in instant. And I wasn't sure who I was. I wasn't sure what my purpose was. And I also wound up accumulating a lot of debt because part of our journey, uh, I had decided that whenever she would feel really down, I'd be, okay, do you want to fly to Puerto Rico tomorrow? And I would just take a credit card because 
I didn't know when her life was going to end, but I knew she only thought she had the cancer in her liver because at one point in time, we, I had to tell her that we needed to remove part of her liver, but I wasn't keeping her up to date. When she passed away, she had um, metastases in her liver, her bones, her lungs, her peritoneum, her small intestines. Um, but yet she, she worked up until two weeks before she passed away. Uh, she just had this un amazing unlimited source of energy because she, she was grateful for what she was doing. But I had a lot of debt. I went back to Dubai. My, my default was always money. You know, money can make everything right. Even though I learned money couldn't save her. But immediately feeling a lack of security, I went back to Dubai, back into my job full time, started making money. And I wasn't, I didn't feel grateful for what I had, even though I should have, because I had an amazing life. And when I looked at that, I realized that part of the equation was that purpose. And I started looking, looking for my purpose because what I think, what really, in my opinion, fuels gratitude, at least from my practice, is not necessarily keeping a gratitude journal and bullet pointing three things. Oh, I'm great for, you know, the beautiful weather, this nice house and the music I listen to, but is to connect to the loss connected with that. There's an emotion that these things present and it's actually the emotion we're grateful for. It's not, it's not really the thing. And that's what I realized when I was in Dubai, I had a lot of things but they weren't giving me emotional reward, emotional payment. They weren't filling that. And so I had always had a fantasy about living in Italy. Um, I have Italian blood and I didn't think I would ever come to Italy because my wife's last birthday, we spent it in Italy and India and Italy. I just thought, how can I, how can I go? Um, you know, all I'll do is think about her. But one day I decided to show up in Italy and it was for a vacation. It was a two week vacation. I stayed for two months. I was talking to, to my business partner and I'm like, I, you know, I, I need this time for myself. He was by that point in time, he was, he was uh, like a brother from a different mother. Right. Cause mm -hmm. he just supported me so much when I was taking care of, of Desiree. And when I went back to Dubai, his name was Khalid. And, and I said, Khalid, I don't know what it is, but I need to move to Italy. And he said, um, well, you're writing the next chapter of your life. So do what you think is right. And I showed up in Italy one day with two suitcases. I didn't speak Italian. I didn't have a job. I didn't know anyone. I didn't even have house. Um, I, I just sort of took the leap because I realized I wanted to look back on my life and be grateful for not letting fear get in the way. And I so I showed up. Yeah, I show it's it, it's so you know, a lot of people say that fear is is false evidence appearing real. And I love acronyms myself and 
I redefined fear as finding excuses against reaching beyond your comfort zone. Giving a gift that supports someone dear to your heart can be a real blessing. WooHooYou made it very simple for you to offer a memorable gift that your loved one will surely cherish for the rest of their life. Help him or her feel appreciated and valued right now. They might need it more than you think. Go to georgianbenta.com slash woohoo or visit the link in the description to find out more. And so I said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the leap. And I showed up in Italy. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. But I had always had, and it's very funny because I was an investment banker. I was really good at my job. I made nice money. I chose that career because I wanted to make sure that I was financially independent and could get away from my father. So as a child, money to me was going to, to save me. Uh, it was the ticket to get away from that, that household. But I always had a dream of doing something more purposeful, for lack of a better word, or fulfilling to, to the, my inner soul, not necessarily just my bank account. And when I came to Italy, I decided to go to school to become a life coach. Partly it was for myself as well, um, because I wanted to understand myself better and understand the journey. While my wife was undergoing chemotherapy, I actually wound up volunteering in the doctor's office to be a chemotherapy companion for people that didn't have companions. And, you know, I would take them back home in a taxi, make sure they were okay. Um, and all of that just had shifted my perspective 180 degrees. So I decided to rebuild my life. I became a life coach and I wanted to get my Italian citizenship. And technically I'm three quarters Sicilian and one quarter Abruzzese. So Abruzzo was closer to Rome. I was living in Rome at the time and I drove out to the small little town called Pacentro. And I actually didn't know beforehand that I was from Pacentro because my family never spoke about the Italian background. I think their generation, immigrants in the United States, tried so hard to become Americans that they would give up their past identity. And I knew Pacentro because of Madonna. <laughs> Actually, I was a big Madonna fan and I knew she was from this little town, which is funny because I'm friends with her cousins. She's never been here. And I'm just like, I can't believe your cousin is Madonna. <laughs> like, I just, I can't believe it, right? So I showed up in this town and I, I fell in love. And I literally had one of those, if you've seen the movie, the Under, Under the Tuscan Sun, I told them I would like to, you know, maybe buy a small house and they would show me homes and I didn't really like anything. And then they took me to this one home and it was, it, it was huge. It's huge. And I was like, no, this is too big. They're like, just take a look at it. And I walk inside where there were supposed to be windows. There were just openings. Someone had stolen all the window fixtures. So, and there were, <laughs> there were birds everywhere. There was bird droppings everywhere. It stunk. I walked out onto the balcony, which I wasn't supposed to because it was crumbling. And they're like, be careful. <laughs> and I looked at the valley in front of the view. And 
I was overwhelmed with this sensation of peace and, and gratitude that my life was bringing me to a place to enjoy something so, so beautiful. And I made an offer on the house very, very, very low because it was crumbling and they, they accepted it. And I was like, oh, now what do I do? <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> now, was this really what I wanted? But it all fell into place. And one day I was, I was sitting in a church in Rome. There's a beautiful church in Rome called San Clemente. And it's actually a church built on top of a really ancient church, built on top of a pagan ritual site. And you can actually go down to the first um, century BC, uh, AC, uh, after Christ. And it was just, it was, it was incredible. And so um, I was looking at the mosaics and I started looking at all the different pieces because, you know, the mosaics were made by hand. The floor was spectacular. And I was sitting there and I started to notice that each piece was broken. Each, each piece was flawed because they were cut by hand. So they, they weren't perfect at all. But the overall mosaic was intriguing, beautiful, uh, captivating. And I thought, wow, that's what life is. <laughs> life is putting pieces of a mosaic together. They're not all perfect, but they create a depth in our life. And I sort of broke open at, in that moment um, where I realized I have to be grateful for even the bad things in my life because it made me who I am. And so if I value my mosaic, I have to sit there and to really appreciate everything, I have to say thank you. Even if it was things that I wouldn't have wanted to have, would, would I still want to be with my wife? Of course I would be. Um, you know, eventually one of us was going to have to say goodbye to the other, but that doesn't make life horrible. It means that there's a big piece in my mosaic that has created something beautiful and has given me something beautiful. And I'm, I'm a big um, superhero and Harry Potter fan, so I apologize to anyone who's not. But if you know Harry Potter, the story Harry Potter, you know he has that scar on his forehead which came from his mother's love protecting him from the, the death spell. And what I say constantly is I am beautifully scarred for having loved and cared for my wife and even lost my wife because that journey, that woman basically had chemotherapy a minimum of two times a month. But let's say, yeah, let's say two times a month for almost 11 years. And for as much as she was doing it for herself, she was doing it for me because she wanted to stay with me. That act of love, that, that act of bravery, which is also, I think surrender is, is pure bravery. And she surrendered to the inevitability of what was possible and then wanted to live in the moment. And so that all, all gets back to how, for me, gratitude became the underlying bedrock 
of of life, um, good and and bad, because it all brought us to if 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 you're thankful for who you are, and this is that's the big question, right, for all of us. We need to get to know ourselves. But when you're thankful for who you are, I'm thankful for my father for being the way he was. If I'd, maybe if I didn't learn those lessons when I was a child, I wouldn't have recovered from the loss of Desiree, or I wouldn't have been able to care for her. And it just, it, it gave me such a broad perspective. That's why I call it the go-go juice of life, because it fuels everything. It literally fuels everything. And that's why I've also found your podcast so amazing because you have these great guests that have, you know, all these different perspectives and, and they just help really define why, what gratitude is and, and why it's so important. So that's, that's pretty much my journey up until now. Um, I've actually, my, my wife's memoir is called uh, Chasing Life, and that's going to come out on, on June 21st. And while it's not a book about lessons, I, the theme of the book, or I think what I'm hoping the book presents, is that understanding that it is the ordinary moments, being grateful for those ordinary moments that make our life extraordinary. Because you're going to, at least this is what I believe, I don't miss the trips that I took with my wife or, or uh, I don't know, great restaurants we ate in. I'm, I miss her laugh when she was watching Friends. I, I mean, <laughs> it's that. It, it, it's that that my heart misses so much. And God, she watched, she watched Friends, I think, I don't know how many times I could recite episodes probably by memory. <laughs> I know the but feeling, she, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but she would laugh every time. And that, that's, that's what I miss. And so that's why I, I'm, I'm such an advocate of the ordinary moments in life and so grateful for them. Exactly. And what I believe is that we all get to experience these, these ordinary moments. We don't have to be billionaires. We don't have to be superstars. We don't have to, I don't know, have different things or be a certain person to be able to, uh, to have these moments and to, to enjoy them. It's not up to something that's external uh, that valid validates us that we deserve those moments but we have them we we're already experiencing them it's just up to us to to change our perspective to appreciate them more and yeah like you said <laughs> these these small moments that that really um that we really cherish they they remain in, in our heart and um yeah, they, they enrich our life. And like you said, um, gratitude connects us to the inherent abundance of life. I love this this perspective from, from a written interview that you did. I think it's, uh, it's so true that by connecting to, to gratitude, we, we connect to this abundance of life that, that's already there, right? One one hundred percent, and um, I, I, I want to thank you for for actually 
also, you know, mentioning that we all have these valuable ordinary moments, you know, it's, it's, it's available to all of us, which is why, as you said, you know, when I talk about abundance, it, it shows us how abundant our life is. We need to walk away from, I'll tell you a very funny story. I, I was in the U.S. shortly after leaving the great job in Dubai, and I stayed with a friend of mine, and he had just bought a new house, and I was living in Rome in the time. His living room was bigger than my apartment in Rome. And I looked at all he had, and, and I started get falling into comparison, thinking I could have had that, I could have this, that, the other thing. When I returned, this was before I bought this house here. Um, when I returned back to Rome and I got on my terrace and I looked out at the sunset over St. Peter's, I thought to myself, this, this is abundance. This is something that I am so grateful for. It does, it's not the big car, it's not the big house. And the thing is, all the research shows you buy a brand new car, those first couple of days, it feels amazing. You're grateful for it. And after a couple of weeks, it just becomes a thing. And that's why if you connect to those ordinary moments every day, there's an abundance in your life that's, it's unlimited. And so thank you for bringing that up because that's, that is so important. And it's everything yeah. we all have. Exactly. And I think it, it brings the power back to us. Otherwise, it's like, okay, when am I going to have enough money to buy that and get that experience? But by by doing this, we can we can be happy right now. We can be grateful right now. We can bring abundance in our life right now. It doesn't have to be that we uh, get to a certain point or to a certain place. And that doesn't mean that we won't get there. I I don't think it's necessarily bad to have different things or to want beautiful things in life but it's about our habit of appreciating what we already have that when we get there we can enjoy it even more and we are not um dependent dependent on that so if at some exactly. point yeah if at some point it uh it gets taken away that doesn't mean that we're going to be any any less appreciative and grateful of, of our life, isn't it? 100%. And if you just think about that idea of, because it is great to have goals and aspirations and want things. And I, I agree with you 100%. Um, the, what we're talking about now does not at all negate that. That's all part of our, our human experience. That's all part of building an amazing life, but being dependent on those things. Just think of the fact of, you know, waiting to get something to be happy or be grateful. While you're waiting, and if you're not focusing on all the ordinary moments in, during that process, you've given your power away to be happy to something in the future. You feel like a victim because you can't control all the forces that could possibly stop you um, from getting what you want. You know, the ancient Stoics used an idea of an archer. And when the archer lets go of the bow, 
so many different things can happen, a gust of wind, a bird, um, you know, an earthquake, whatever the case is, right? So it's, it's the fact that the archer was more involved in the preparation and, and living in those moments before letting it go. So he wasn't or she wasn't there waiting for it hit, to hit the bullseye and then I'm going to be happy. No. Um, and that's, that's what is, is so important, what's underlying gratitude, right, is the fact that, yes, if those things come, great. But I know I have so much to be grateful for in this moment. Exactly. That doesn't mean not to dream and hope. You know, look, I showed up in Italy, right? So I, <laughs> I didn't stop dreaming and hoping because I, I, I was grateful. But what I realized, it, it, it gave me more clarity and serenity to actually move forward because I wasn't putting everything in the future. I wasn't saying, once I get there, um, I was saying, I have so much already, and this is wonderful, and I want to work towards that goal. Um, so it's it's interesting because I, in this small town I live in, there is a they they kept a home similar to what it used to be, and the woman she actually passed away in the seventies, um, but you know she lived for almost eighty years, so she had that house in the late eighteen hundreds, and. You walk in, she used to, they, they show, you know, there was no heat. There was just one, one um, faucet. There was one light bulb. Um, she slept with a donkey in her room for heat. And you walk in there and you think how, how lucky we really are for the things we, we have in our life already. Like just go wash the dishes by hand with only cold water for a week. And you're going to be very happy that you have hot water. Uh, so uh, yes, it's, it's so much tied to abundance. It's, it's, it's very, it's, it is that whole concept of enough. Um, because when you're living in a state of, I don't have enough, life feels like a struggle and it's exhausting when you're living in a state of look at all the wonderful things I already have. And one of the things that no one can, can ever take away from you is your perspective on beauty in life. Um, then all of a sudden the world is much much bigger and doesn't feel like a struggle exactly exactly and since you you, you mentioned this um, this perspective on the big world that that we're living in i'm really curious in all of your travels in all of the places that you that you lived did you see some um similarities or some some things that you think are interesting related to gratitude for instance in Abu Dhabi in Dubai or in Rome those cultures are so different from from how I can see them from my perspective do you see some uh, did you see some things that that have to do with gratitude in these cultures that you thought were interesting 
100%. And one of the things I'll say is, uh, you know, when, when I did move to the Middle East in the late 90s, I really didn't know a lot about Muslim culture. Um, I, I knew the basics, you know, things about alcohol and many wives and, and women wearing an, an abaya or a burqa. Um, in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, it's an abaya. It's a very light fabric, actually. And I didn't really know what to expect. One of the first things that really was absolutely wonderful to see, and this was also in India as well, but it's, it's anywhere in the world, is how we're all the same. You know, the, the need for love and friendship and family. And what I did notice in India, uh, even in Italy, but out, outside of the United States, the family unit is so, so important. In, in the United States, the way I grew up, you know, 18 years old, you leave the house, everyone goes in different directions, you see each other on... I grew up as an Italian American, so I did practice more in the, you know, on the weekends, every Sunday, there was the big Sunday dinner, uh, Sunday lunch with, you know, the whole family, the cousins and everything. But, you know, we all lived two or three hours away from each other, but we would all make the trip. And then as the generations move on, that, that fell apart. But the, the family was so integral to everything. And from a gratitude point of view, an abundance point of view, the biggest eye-opening experience to me was in India uh, when I was working in, in the food hall. Because these, these people would come in, and my first time I really didn't understand the procedure because it was a dirt floor. The food hall was actually more of like a, a temporary structure, almost like a tent. Mm -hmm. with banana banana leaves on the floor and that actually was their plate and 200 people at a time would come in they would sit down and basically my job was to give us a, a scoop of rice and a scoop of dal and the i'd say 90 percent of the people would offer me the first bite you know they ate with their hands and they would pick it up and they they would offer it to me and I finally asked someone that spoke well enough English, why do people do this? And they explained to me how for them, gratitude meant wanting to share it because they were so grateful for what they had that they wanted to give a piece to somebody else because they already had enough. And that, in a way, is where I started to get this understanding of, of enough. Um, this was probably the only meal they were going to eat. And that one, that one bite, of course, really wasn't going to change their life. But knowing they were giving it filled them with so much gratitude for what was left for them to eat that it made the whole thing, let's say, a spiritual practice. Because... I didn't realize how, while we might practice gratitude as, um, let's say, a tool to a certain extent, what I did notice in India, 
Um, I would also say the Muslim religion is very well ingrained also in gratitude um, from, from what I saw, that this idea of giving and sharing what you already have is, is so important because it only fuels gratitude. And a practice that I, I started doing soon after that was being aware you know, if I'm, I, I remember once, it's a story I also wrote about, but I remember once being in a grocery store and there was a, a young kid in front of me and he wanted to buy an Entenmann's cake for his mom's birthday and he didn't have enough money to pay for it. And I saw the cashier was thinking to cancel the sale, didn't know what to do. And I sort of like, you know, in hand signals from behind the kid, let her know that I was going to pay for, for the cake. And the kid didn't know, you know, he just thought he got a discount or the person was very nice. And I thought to myself, wow, if I only had $2 left in my pocket and one of those dollars went to causing somebody to be able to give a cake to their mother, that would be much better than having $2 and buying myself something bigger to eat. Mm-hmm. And, and I got it. Like, and so in Italy, uh, again, uh, it is, they, they practice gratitude in, in a different way because uh, it is so ingrained in, in the Catholic religion. Uh, so a lot of it does have to do with um, what the underlying principles are of, of Catholicism. But they try to incorporate it. it. What I've seen being outside of the, the United States is it seems to be more habitual um, in the cultures that I've seen living abroad for so long than it is in the United States. Um, I think it's also because we, in the U.S., we, we grow up in a consumer-based society of buying more, having more. We're taught to do that. You know, if you just think about how, how from the pandemic, the, the economy in the United States is recovering so quickly, people are running out and, and, and buying because they they haven't done that in so long, but yet we also heard a lot of stories of people, you know, providing meals for people and a lot of other things that just, I think there was a big shift, but I do think part of it is, you know, India, um, the, the Emirates, at least the Emirate culture, because the Emirates, Abu Dhabi and Dubai is based solely on consumerism, but um, not, not the local population. That's not how they live. Um, and then Italy, consumerism is not, it's something you do every so often for enjoyment. It's not like buying something on Amazon every day to feel fulfilled. Wow. I, I love everything that you shared and I'm, I'm always curious on how gratitude is um, experienced in in different parts of the world and i'm really grateful that you've shared these stories and these perspectives and i'm sure that our listeners wherever they are in the world will will get some very interesting insights from um, all of the things that you've shared and since we're nearing the end of our time together i wanted to ask you um where can our audience get the book? Where can they get in touch? 
how you can be of service to people? Oh, thank you very much for asking. Um, so if anyone wants to get in touch with me, the best thing is they can go to my website, which is robertpardi.com. Um, I also have a podcast, which is called Possibility in Action, which is on uh, Buzzsprout and Spotify. But it's really just three to five minutes of me talking about a concept, like when we talked about fear. You know, what, the, what, what does that acronym mean? Um, it's, it's not this great podcast like you have where you have guests. Um, as for the book, it's called Chasing Life, and it will be released on Amazon and Kindle June 21st of this year. And it's something I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited about. And the, the idea of chasing life is all based on this ordinary hey, moment and gratitude. Thank you so much for taking so, the time um, to that's to where the title sort of comes really from. Appreciate it. That we, we shouldn't and be chasing time. One person that time is not, benefit from it, we have no control it over it. Them. it we should chase life. Be the inspiration that they need to make that's their beautiful. day or maybe even their life. Thank you much very better. much for Thank you being so here much with us, for sharing again. all of the amazing ideas and to keep seeking for sharing and your life story. Gratitude. I really appreciate that. Thank you once again for being a guest on the Gratitude Podcast. And thank you very much for having me for sure.